0: You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. Today I'm preaching on the subject, the danger of propped up promises. The danger of propped up promises. We're in Genesis chapter 16. And let me make a statement, and you kind of think with me and process this for a moment. If a promise has to be propped up, it's faulty at its core. Okay, now I want you to think about that for a moment. If a promise has to be propped up, it is faulty at its core. In fact, when I was a boy, and probably you did the same when you were a kid, if you were talking to somebody and they didn't believe you, you'd say, well, I, I, I promise, uh, you know, uh, hope to die, stick a stick a pin in my eye. You ever remember things like that? You know, I, you know, a lot of times you'd try to get out of that, you'd say... Uh, I promise, hope to die, stick a penny in my eye. And they say, oh, you said penny. You didn't say pen. So uh, that doesn't count because they thought you were trying to get out of telling the truth. You see, when you were a child, a lot of times when you were making a promise and somebody didn't believe you, you would say, well, I promise. And you'd use some kind of vow or you'd say, you know, hope to die or may my right eye fall out. Or whatever. You know, I wrote this down. If I'm still using that kind of language to prop up what I'm trying to say, then I've got a real problem. Right? You're still using that kind of language as an adult. You're saying, well, you know, I promise you, I swear. You know, you you didn't say, I swear to God, because you were told not to do that. So you'd swear on your mother's grave, or you'd do some crazy whatever. You see, when I make a promise, and I have to prop that promise up, I wrote these down. Number one, this can be your tendency not to trust. In other words, if I say something, making a promise to you, and you act like you don't believe it, it may be your nature. You're just inclined not to believe people because you have difficulty trusting people, right? Number two, it could be my own lack of credibility. If you've caught me in a lie or you've found me to be dishonest, then you may, you may not necessarily believe me when I make a promise. Number three, um, it may what you perceive to be my lack of credibility when I may be, be very credible. Um, today, we're going to read Genesis 16... Then we're going to pray and we're going to make some observations. So I want you to stand, take your Bible, and look at Genesis chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. And perhaps I can build a family through her. Now automatically your spiritual antennas ought to be going up here because she said, the Lord has kept me, I can build. So you need to underline that. Now Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, that is Sarah. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Now men are laughing because I don't know what happens, but sometimes we get blamed. I put my servant in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. You can do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled. That is, Hagar, she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the river to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Well, that's always a good question, isn't it? I am running away from my mistress, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants that, and that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with the child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Now, I'll translate that in the original Hebrew in a moment. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, and Lord, we love you. We pray, dear Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit to be in this place. We thank you, dear Lord, already through the song service and the praise and the worship that we've been reminded of a universal word, Lord, a word we can understand no matter where we are in the world, that word, hallelujah, that word of praise and adoration. Lord, I thank you, dear Lord, for your word, and I pray, dear Lord, right now that you would speak to us through it. Lord, already I've been on my face asking you to make my heart what it needs to be. And may may I be your voice peace. And we'll give you the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, you can go ahead and be seated. Now, I want to make three points. First of all, I want to talk about propping up a promise, okay? Now, I want you to go back and look at at Genesis chapter 16, verse 2. Because in Genesis chapter 16, verse 2, it said, So she said to Abram, that is Sarai, she said, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, I want to ask you something first of all. When you look at verse 2, who is Sarai blaming for her circumstances, her situation? She's blaming God. You know, that kind of caught me. In fact, I wrote this down. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten mad and blamed someone for something that they were in the process of taking care of? Have you ever got mad and blamed somebody for something that they at that moment were in the process of taking care of? Let me, let me give you an example. I, this has happened to me. I, I, I'll come in and, I, and I'll just kind of, you know, i I look at Sheila, she's cooking, and I'll say, you know, you never cook dessert anymore. And she smiles and says, there's a cake in the oven right now. You see, sometimes the reality is you and I, listen to this, you and I may even be mad at God while at this very moment, He is in the process of answering your prayer. You see, sometimes we get angry with God. We say to God, God, you're just not You don't do this anymore. You haven't answered my prayer. And God would smile and tap us on the shoulder and say, I'm answering right now. I'm in the process of answering your prayer. You just can't see it yet. Just like Sheila can say, listen, buddy, I got a cake in the oven. You can't see it, but I'm doing it. You see... But there's another danger here, and the danger, and I've talked about this, is the danger of answering our own prayer or taking matters into our own what? Into our own hands. Sometimes God is in the midst of answering our prayer, but we decide to get involved and we interrupt God's plan or His purpose or His provision. Now listen to me closely. Look this way. His will is going to be accomplished. But you and I may lose the blessing of the process because instead of waiting on God and being patient, we got upset with God, got irritated at God, broke fellowship with God, while all the while God was answering our prayer. We just didn't... We we, we failed to enjoy the process. You see, what happens here is Sarai is trying to prop up a promise that God made to her in Abraham. And she begins to make concessions let me give you a few of them number 1 abram here by all indication is not the spiritual leader in fact when you when you go back look at he look at genesis chapter 15 verses 4 through 6 you remember this then the word of the lord came to him that is abram this man will not be your heir that he's talking about eliezer his financial advisor but a son coming from your own body will be your heir He took him outside. God takes Abram outside and said, look up at the heavens, count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. Now look at verse 6. Abram believed God and he credited it to him as righteousness. When I looked at that, first of all I thought to myself, undoubtedly Abram here is not the spiritual leader because he doesn't communicate Genesis four, five, and six. In fact, I wrote down here. I call it Eveism because any time a woman begins to take the position of spiritual leadership and authority over her husband, you've got a problem. We see that all the way back to the garden. In fact, I thought to myself. Somehow, Abram failed to be the spiritual leader and to bring Sarah or Sarai where God had brought him. Number two, I thought to myself, did Sarah believe because in in genesis fifteen six it says that Abram believed God, it was credited that is a, an accounting term in the Hebrew hava or Hava. It is that picture of God crediting to his account the righteousness of Christ. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So my thought was, did Sarai believe, as did Abram in 15.6? Number three, was Sarah trying to, Sarah trying to fix the situation? Notice how she words this here. She says, the Lord has kept me from having children. She blames God for her condition. Then she says, Go sleep with my maidservant. She's outside the will of God, now leading her husband outside the will of God. Then she goes even farther. She says, I will be, listen, I can build a family through who? Through Hagar. So number three, you get the idea here that in some ways that Sarah is trying to fix the situation. She says, undoubtedly, I'm to blame. I'm the reason that we're in the mess that we're in. So let me see if I can fix it. Let me see if somehow I can make it right. Number four, was she trying to answer Abram's prayer? Listen, hear me. The danger sometimes is not only that we try to answer our own prayers, but we try to answer other people's. Instead of waiting on God, we we begin to interrupt or invade God's territory because we're trying to answer somebody's prayer because we love them. We want to fix their situation and we'll do whatever we have to do. Ladies will do this. Ladies can do this. They love their husband and they, they just simply say, I'll take care of it. Let me give you an Old Testament example. Do you remember Ahab and Jezebel? Ahab came in one day and he, look, the only way I could do it, I know you're going to think this funny and for people on the website, what I'm going to do, this is Ahab. He comes in like this. Okay, he comes into the palace. He walks past Queen Jezebel. He's just slouchy, pouting. And the Bible says that he did this. He just curled up and put his face against the wall. And Jezebel said, Sugar Booger, what's wrong with you? You look upset. And he said, well, I tried to get Naboth's vineyard, and Naboth wouldn't give me his vineyard, and, and, and I'm upset. And Jezebel said, well, don't you worry about it. i Sugar Booger, I'll answer your prayer. And she set up this scheme. She lied about Naboth. She set up some, some scoundrels, and guess what she did? She had Naboth killed, and then she came back in and she said, Sugar listen, everything's gonna be all right. Let me tell you, but come here, come here. You know what I did? I got you that vineyard. I got you that vineyard. Naboth's dead, it's yours, you go take it. And and listen. She went down, oh Jezebel, listen, she went down to Naboth's vineyard. And by the time she got there, she ran head straight in to a man by the name of Elijah. And Elijah, the prophet of God, looked at her and said, he, well, he looked at Ahab and said, he just prophetically said, he said, you've made a tragic mistake. You go back and tell the queen that one day the dogs will lick up her blood. And she said, You tell, you, and you know, what, you know what Jezebel said? You tell that prophet that his head's going to be like that of those he's killed on Mount Carmel. You know, in other words, even if you put those two together, there was, there was conflict here. And what I'm saying, ladies, is there's a danger sometimes when you get involved in the life of your husband and you begin to answer his prayers. Men, your wife is not your spiritual leader, you are. And sometimes she'll do whatever she has to do. I call it "Hupatasso on steroids to answer your prayer. Ladies, don't do it. Now, I was going to get into some other things here, but I'm not going to do it. I was going to talk about sex. But I've got too much to do and too far to go, so I can't do that today. I may come back and do that. But I'll get your curiosity up anyway. Number two there's the cost of propping up God's promises. Now let me say this, God does not need you and I to prop up His promises. If God promises something, He's perfectly capable of fulfilling that promise and seeing it to its conclusion. But Sarai here begins to play God. In verse 2 she says, Perhaps I can build. I wrote this quote down. She takes the spiritual leadership and now she seeks to address the spiritual promises of God with fleshly carnal ways. And again, what motivated her? What do you think motivated Sarah? What do you think motivated her? Making her husband happy? Helping God out? Making fulfilling the promises? I think love. I think she loved her husband. I think, she ought, I think she even felt like she was at fault. I think that she was just simply saying, perhaps somehow I can give Abram what he desires more than anything. A lineage, a legacy, somebody to follow him and to be the inheritor of all that he has. So I know what I'll do. You see, what motivated her was love. I wrote this down. The enemy can use the best of intentions. And we have to be careful. Her her thought was, well, I was only trying. What does that mean? Something went wrong. The results did not turn out the way I thought. I'm in a mess and I put those I love in a mess. My friend, hear me. The cost of propping up God's promises. God does not need our help. There's a danger when you and I begin to answer our prayers, our own prayers or the prayers of the people that we love. We start playing God in other people's lives. That is a dangerous thing to do because before long what we do, we manipulate, we orchestrate, we fix, we maneuver. We begin to do all of these things and then we, then we inherit this big mess and we look up toward God and we say, God, I was just trying to help. Why? Look this way. Because we become impatient with God. Instead of letting God work, giving God the time that He needs, understanding that God's got something in the oven and we can't see it, we begin to manipulate, to orchestrate, we begin to answer the prayers of the people that we love. We begin to play God. Why? Because it's hard to watch those we love make destructive choices and not intervene. Young parent, are you listening? The hardest thing as a parent in the life of your children is to watch them make destructive choices and have to step back and wait and know that God loves them more than you do and God is in the process of intervening. Listen, God has something in the oven. So the cost of propping up promises is the cost of relationships. If you you look at 16.4, watch what happens here. 16 verse 4. Um, When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Now there's a breakdown of the relationship Between Well, there's already a breakdown between her and Abram and Sarai. You remember Sarai gets mad at her, I mean gets mad at Abram. But here in verse 4, you have a breakdown, a cost of relationships. Here all of a sudden Sarai's relationship with Hagar is broken. Sarai's relationship with Abram is broken. Ultimately, even the testimony, number two, the the testimony of Abram and Sarai to this Egyptian maidservant named Hagar is affected. I wrote this principle down. It's something we've looked at before. Some of us will not leave the world until the world kicks us out. Where was Hagar from? Egypt. You see, sometimes we prop up the promises of God because there's a lack of faith. God gave Abram a promise in fifteen, chapter 15, 4, 5, and 6. But what happened is that Abram did not communicate that to Sarai. Somehow they were not on the same page. And instead, now listen, instead of Abram convincing Sarai of what God said in 15, 4, and 5, when he could have walked in and said, Sarah, let me tell you, I just had an experience with God. Let me tell you what God told me. God told me that Eleazar, our banker, our financial man, he is not going to be the one to inherit our our estate. Listen, God told me once again that we're going to have a son, and he's going to come out of my own loins. He's biologically going to be my child. And God said, listen, he made a promise. And I want you to know something, Sarai. I believe him. And I believe that God will see this promise through. Instead of communicating that to Sarai, guess what? Sarai communicates the very opposite to Abram. I Listen to this. We move from the most pivotal moment in scripture 15:6. And Abram believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. That is a pivotal. That listen, look this way. That is the foundation of our systematic theology concerning salvation, justification by faith and faith alone. We move from the most pivotal moment in Scripture, the greatest doctrine given to man, justification by faith, which separates us from the religions of the world. We move from justification by faith to the father of the faith in the tent of an Egyptian servant girl trying to answer his own prayer. In other words, this was one more attempt by Abram and Sarai to run to Egypt for an answer. Hagar is from Egypt. There's a quote We don't always run to Egypt, instead, sometimes we take Egypt with us just in case we need the world. Wow. Sometimes we don't, we don't, we may run from Egypt. You remember in the wilderness wanderings? You remember they carried. The pillage of Egypt with them. Let me ask you something. Look this way. Let me ask you a question. What did they use the stuff they brought out of Egypt to make? What? They made a golden calf out of it. And they worshiped that golden calf. Let me tell you how long. You know how long it took God to beat the Egypt out of them? You remember, Mom and Dad? I said, You don't have to cuss you just holler out there and say, you don't get in this house right now, I'm going to beat the Egypt out of you. Now listen, let me say this. If you say that, you'll automatically have a witness. You'll, you'll literally, you'll be able to share your faith. Because people will ask you, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is, and you take them through the Old Testament. Look, you carry them all the way through the Scripture. You say that in Walmart. You better come here right now. Say that down the lingerie aisle. You better come here right now. You don't come here right now. I'm going to beat the Egypt out of you. Now, you get over here right now. And you watch and see if people don't say, you know, I heard you say this. What does that mean? You can give a presentation of the entire Scripture, of all the Bible, there in the lingerie section while you're also beating your child. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that that statement, we don't always run to Egypt. Instead, we take Egypt along just in case we need it. No doubt Hagar was one more gift from Pharaoh to Sarah while she was in the harem of Pharaoh. Let me tell you what I believe. I believe Hagar was a gift from Pharaoh while they were in Egypt outside of God's will instead of leaving Egypt behind and putting it behind them. You know what they did? They carried some of Egypt with them. Let me ask you something. Are you carrying a little bit of the world with you? Wow. Thirdly, and the last point, the cost of participating with those who prop up God's promises. You see, when people start answering their own prayers, when they start answering the prayers of the people that they love, because they love, and they may be motivated by love, when we begin to prop, God doesn't need us to prop up His promises. But when we begin to do that, and we begin to answer our own prayers, we begin to answer the prayers of the people that we we love, there's a cost to that. Let me, you know, let me ask you something. I want you to think about this. Don't answer out loud because I don't want you to be embarrassed. Is Hagar innocent? Let me tell you, if you, went into my, if you went into my library, if you went into my study right now and you started pulling commentaries, you know what a lot of those commentaries would say? She's innocent. She is a slave. And because of a slave, she has to obey regardless of the moral and ethical issues. She was an innocent bystander. And I'm going to tell you, some very strong, conservative Bible scholars say that. I don't agree with that at all. Let me ask you why. Biblically, why would we not agree with that? Who's the case in point of a slave in the midst of a sexual encounter said, No! And then took off running. You remember his name? Joseph. Joseph. You see, sometimes the reality is you and I may lose a job. We may lose a friendship. We may lose this. We may lose that. Because we have to run. So here, Hagar's not innocent. Now let me ask you something. What should she have done? She should have simply accepted the consequences. You know what Joseph did? Joseph just accepted the consequences. What happened to Joseph? You remember when Potiphar came back? Man, here's, here's, his, here's his wife. She's just back in the bedroom. Oh. Now, she's really crying because she got shunned. And that's another sermon. But she's all, oh, I'm just so upset. Potiphar went in and said, honey, what's wrong with you? It's that, it's that Hebrew slave that you bought. He tried to rape me. Potiphar went and had his high muckety mucks and his big men. They went and they arrested him and they threw him in prison. And he stayed in prison, you looking this way, 12 years because he did what was right. Hagar should have accepted the consequences. She should have been accountable and she should have trusted God. And because she did not, because Sarai and Abram and Hagar and all of them are wrong, look this way. We are still reaping the consequences to this day. Listen, they say this, and I I think about this. I lit a match the other day and I thought about this. Now you light a match and the light of that match will travel 186,000 miles a second you can go into your closet and hide and like that match. But they not only say this, they not only say 186,000 miles a second is that like traveling. Listen, look this way. It travels forever. For eternity. You and I make decisions that affect the lives of people. When we make decisions with spiritual significance that affect the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness, listen, the outcome of those experiences, those decisions can go on all... Listen, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Through eternity. Especially spiritually. Well, Hagar, we've got to close, but Hagar runs... She just runs. Sarah's mad at her. She's an Egyptian maidservant. She doesn't stand a chance. So she just hightails it. She just gets away. She's trying to get away as far as she can. But listen to what happens to her. She encounters God. And God puts His arm around Hagar and all of her disobedience, all of her poor choices. That's the God of grace. Aren't you thankful because we're all Hagar's? (laughs) Every one of us, including me. God just wraps his arm around her. She's collapsed there in the middle of the wilderness. And he says, Hagar, what are you doing here? Where are you going? Those are good questions, folks. And a lot of times God will let let people run and run and run and run till finally they collapse in the world. And then God will wrap his arm of grace around them. and He'll say, what are you doing here? Where are you going? I want you to repent. I want you to go home. I want you to take responsibility. I want you to do the right thing. And I'm going to be with you. Now, it's it's not finished there. Because what God does is God tells her there's going to be some dire consequences to the choices that you've made. Let me tell you something, folks. Hear me. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So sometimes we live our life, we're sowing seeds and disobedience and rebellion to God, and people are trying to help us, but ultimately the crop's coming, the crop's coming, the crop's coming. And finally, we just get to a point, we just collapse, and God puts His arm around us, and He says, listen, where are you going? What are you doing? Why are you here? And we just finally, in desperation, say, God, I'm just at the end of my rope. Help me, Lord. And you know what the Lord does, and I've, I've showed you this many times for all things, what is that? All, all things. Well wait a minute, you mean my rebellion, you mean my poor choices? You mean the, the, you mean the mistakes that I made? You mean the times that I've rebelled against God? You mean God takes everything, all of it. Yes, He does. When you and I cry out in desperation and say, God, I've made some poor choices. God, I've made some mistakes. God, I'm beginning to feel the crop coming in. And God, it is more than I can stand. I can't make it. In in childlike faith, we reach out to a loving God. We say, God, help me, God, I repent of my sin. God, those were poor choices. I moved my life outside of your will. God, I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me and help me right now. You know what God does? He does exactly what your pastor's doing. He starts rolling up the divine sleeves of his robes of righteousness. He wraps his arms around you and lifts you up. And then he takes every single choice, everything that's been done, and he weaves it into the tapestry of his will and his purpose and his plan so that Paul says, for all things, all things, let's say it together, all things, say it like you mean it, all things, say it when you're thinking about all the bad choices you've made in your life, all things, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. You know what God says to her? And you're not going to like this. Some of you are going to accuse me of cussing in the pulpit. But I'll ask our Hebrew scholar to verify what I'm going to say. God says, uh, okay, Harry, Hagar, sit up. Why are you here? What are you running from? Hagar, it's time to go home. It's time to take responsibility. Hagar, you've made some mistakes. Now let me help you. Sit down, Hagar. Let's talk for a moment. Hagar, the baby in your womb, this is the Hebrew, don't get mad at me, will be a wild ass of a man. He'll be unruly. He'll be untamable. He will rebel, Hagar, against you He'll rebel against Abram. He'll rebel against his lineage. He'll rebel against his brothers. He will rebel. He'll have a rebellious spirit. Now you look this way. Hagar, you need me. You need me to help you reap this crop. Because if you don't, You are in for a hell of a life. For every parent in this room with a small child, pregnancy or whatever, the reality is, the Bible says that a child's heart is already bent toward rebellion because we live in a fallen, sinful world. I didn't have to cheat. I didn't have to, didn't have to say, "Let's, Jeffrey, Amy, Emily, come here. Tonight's lesson is on cheating. Tonight's lesson is on lying. Listen, they had mastered it long before I ever even mentioned it. Why? Because their heart is deceitfully wicked. You know what the Lord says to a young parent? You're going to need me to get through this. We'll pray. Let's stand together and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you love us. We pray, dear Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to us in this invitation. We ask you, dear Lord, to remind us that as much as we love the people that we love, we can never answer the prayer, and we surely can answer the promises that God you make. God, those promises you will see to fulfillment. Help us, dear Lord, to trust you and to lean on you and to understand that sometimes when, even when we become angry and we even will say, God, you don't do this or you haven't done this. God would say to us, as my wife sometimes says to me when I say you haven't cooked me a dessert in a long time, she'll smile and say, there's one in the oven. Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that you'd speak to the hearts of men and women, boys and girls in this room. And I pray, dear Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, as their Lord and their Savior. I pray, dear Lord, that if right now they're under the conviction of sin and the weight of poor choices, the crop of a life that was unrepentant, unbroken, but now stands before you broken. I pray, dear Lord, that they through childlike faith would repent of their sin and invite you, Lord Jesus, to come into their heart and to be their Lord. And that means to be their master. I pray, dear Lord, for others in this room that may need to recommit, rededicate their life. You may need to come and say, Ledge or Reggie, Brother Jeff. I've not been walking with the Lord like I need to and I want to rededicate, recommit my life. I know I'm saved, but I want to walk a new life today. I pray, dear Lord, for those that may be here that need to move their membership, be a part of this church, that they'll do that. For those that may need to just come to the altar, spend a moment like the public and just beating their chest, saying, Lord, have mercy upon me, sinner. Lord, speak to us.